0: So, uh, last week, if you were here, you, you maybe know where I'm going with this. Last week was a, was a difficult message. It was a difficult message to preach. It was a difficult message to hear. We talked about hell, and it was, a little, it was a little pointed. Hopefully, you felt the hope of Jesus through it, but at the beginning of the service, I talked to a gentleman who was visiting, and um, he, I, I, we were talking about where I was going with the message, and he said, well, you'll, you'll know if you did a good job or not. I was like, really, how's that? He's like, well, the, the seats will be empty next week if people don't like what you said. <laughs> So I wanted to take a moment and thank you all for coming back. Obviously, is a, it's a sobering thing to think about hell, but Jesus taught on it. Quite a lot, actually, and, and it's in the Bible, and we we do our best here at Crossroads. I know we're, we're not a perfect church. We say that a lot. We worship a perfect Savior, but we do do our best to try and stand faithfully on the Word of God and, and say what it says. So uh, hell's in there, so occasionally we get, to, we get to hear about it, we get to... I get to t- teach on it. Uh, it's, a, it's a draining thing to teach on, but it, it's a sobering reality. And again, hopefully, you left with the hope of Jesus. We don't ever, Jesus didn't come to condemn us, right? He came to, to save us, to rec- rescue us. And so, although each and every one of us does, in fact, deserve hell, we do. The only thing that keeps us out of hell's grip is the pleasure of God, is his grace. And by Jesus, he has made a way for every single person on this earth to escape the clutches of hell through faith in his Son. He relently, re- relentlessly pursues us with as, uh, that, that kid's Bible. Have you ever read uh, Sally Lord Jones' uh, The Jesus Storybook Bible? I love it. There's a phrase in there she repeats over and over and over again. Jesus pursues us with a never-stopping, never-ending, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? My prayer as we talk about hell and as we move forward to talk about greed this morning is that we all would grow in our wonder and awe of God's amazing grace. It's amazing. It's truly amazing. So we're going to shift gears. We're going to shift gears from a focus on entitlement from last week, and we're going to look at another enemy of gratitude this morning. If you remember, we're in a series focusing on attitudes, Uh, behaviors, attitudes that that steal our joy in Jesus? What are the things that that steal our joy in Jesus, keep our hearts from being grateful? The enemy of gratitude we're going to look at this morning, as has already been mentioned, is greed. So we're going to pick up in Matthew 22, where we left off. Look at that greedy guy holding all his money, right? We're going to continue in Matthew 2, where 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 we left off last week, starting in verse 15. So if you have your Bibles... If you don't have a Bible, you have a phone, I'd like for you to get the Bible in front of you. It'll be on the screen, but it's always good to make sure that what I put on the screen actually is in the Bible, and then I'm not just putting it up there. One of these days, I'm going to put one up there just to see if y'all are sharp and you catch it, right? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But I do want you to be on your toes, okay? We're in Matthew 22, verse 15. It says this, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, him being Jesus, in his words. If you were here last week, this will not surprise you. You'll remember that Jesus walks into these powerful, prestigious political leaders of his day. The Jews of the time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, another group we're going to learn about today, the Herodians. They're powerful people. He walks into their place of power and he says, You're no better than the tax collectors. You're like a bunch of traitors. In fact, the traitors of our country, they're better than you. The prostitutes in our country, they are better than you because they believe in me. So he puts them in their place. He tells them, if you persist in turning down God's beautiful invitation, remember, there's a wedding feast God is preparing for us, the wedding feast of the Lamb, and he's inviting all of us to that wedding feast. And you remember the parable that he sent out the invitations, and some people, they didn't like how the invitation was worded. And in their entitlement and pride, they ripped it up. God, we don't like what you said in your word. They teared it up, tore it up. There were others. There were others that were so busy, so important with their own stuff going on, they couldn't be bothered to respond at all. They're too important to respond to the king's invitation. Others still, those who did decide to attend, there was one guy, he shows up, but he doesn't show up in the right dress. The king provides attire, the the, the clothing of of righteousness he says listen I'll come to your party but I ain't wearing what you tell me I don't care who you are if you're the king you're God I don't care who you are I'll come but I'm dressing how I want many of us are like that in our world today aren't we right? God I'll worship you but it's going to be on my terms I'll worship you but but I'm gonna change a few things in your word because I know better than you do I'll worship you but it's going to be on my terms I'm missing one. There was there was another guy who was entitled in that story. You can remind me of what it was at the end. We learned last week that Jesus he he tells these people, Listen, you are these people. You're the people who God who God destroys. He burns their cities, he murders them, or kills them, burns their cities. The guy who shows up without the right dress to the party, God says, I provided everything for you. He says, No thanks. I know better than you. He says, All right, tie him up, bind him up, throw him out into utter darkness where it would be Weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's pointed. Jesus speaking to these people, right? Very positive and encouraging Caleb, this Jesus. So when we get to verse 15 here, is it any wonder? Is it any wonder that the Pharisees, they went out and they laid plans to trap him in his words? It's not. We shouldn't be surprised by this, right? They're quite upset. They are done with this Jesus fella. But hear the grace. Jesus ain't done with them. Isn't this beautiful? The God of heaven comes down to earth. The people mock him. They despise him. They hate Jesus. They seek to set traps for him that he might be captured, that he might be imprisoned by the Romans and killed. And yet, he still engages them. These people, people, they are quite literally hell-bent on killing the God who made them, the God who could speak but, but a word and turn them instantly to a pile of ashes. But he doesn't. He engages these folks. He still hears their questions. He hears their insolence, and he seeks to soften and change their hearts. So that he might befriend them. So he might win them to his love. Isn't Jesus amazing? His love is absolutely amazing. Nevertheless, the Pharisees, they seek to trap Jesus. And it says again in verse 16, we'll continue on. It says, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now real quick, a word on the Pharisees and the Herodians. Church, this is not a common sight, what we're reading right here. These two groups, groups of people, they could not be more opposite than one another, right? Them together, united in a shared cause, it's like oil and water. They don't mix. This isn't the perfect metaphor, but imagine the tea party and the squad. You guys know who the squad are, right? Maybe some of y'all are political. They're like the extreme left-wingers, right? we got the extreme over here. we got the tea party over here coming together, united in a shared cause. That's what we're seeing. Again, it's not, it's not a perfect comparison, but it, it's like that. Two extremes coming together in a shared mission. The Pharisees, they hate Rome. They hate everything that Rome stands for. They're very conservative. And even though they're too cowardly to preach it, they believed that it was sinful to pay Roman taxes. They, they believed that you would defile yourself if you even handled Roman currency. You shouldn't even handle that stuff. It'll, it'll make you unclean, impure. Rome is too sinful to even use their money. That's the Pharisees, right? And then the Herodians, these were the Jews in this group who had profited quite nicely from cozying on up to the Romans, right? They, they weren't above like exploiting their own people to get some business deals rolling, Make an extra buck buck on the side, these people were right there cuddling up next to the Roman, inking profitable business deals in the process. Oil and water. Very unlikely bedfellows, but here they are, united in a shared cause. We hate Jesus. He stinks, right? He's the worst. There's a point of application here for us Christians. We're told that the ruler, the prince of the air, is Satan. The Lord's given him some authority to operate here in this life. That's why we see all the death and destruction around us. Church, there are a lot of, of different groups in this world that are not Christian. That are like oil and water. That would never mix. People on the left, people on the right, different religions. And here, here's what I need you to know. Do not be surprised as you go through life to have people that you would never expect to ever be bedfellows, to be partnership with one another. Do not expect to see them uniting against God, against his church, against Jesus Christ, and against you as one of his children. If you're a Christian, do not be surprised when people who would not otherwise be united unite. To come against you and your king. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they unite to come against Jesus. And they ask him this question, verse 17. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. I love this, right? These entitled people that Jesus just put in their place, they come up, and these, these scoundrels, they speak some truth. Jesus, we know you have integrity. We know you teach the way of God. We also know you're not a respecter of persons, right? You waltz into our place, and you tell us where to, where to go, and what's our role, and you're, we, get, we get who you are. You serve God, you serve an audience of one, and you don't care what anybody else says about it. Accurate description of Jesus. These people hate Jesus for that. Because they don't know him and they don't love his heart. And so they set a trap for Jesus. Which comes next. Tell us. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? So they come and they say... Listen, Jesus, we have a question for you. They throw it out to the crowd. It's about paying taxes to the Romans. Here's the trap. Here's the trap. It's a real double bind for Jesus. It's a real problem. He can't really answer it at all. Right? You see, if Jesus says it's unlawful to pay taxes, again, the Pharisees, they preach this, they believe this, but they're too cowardly to say anything about it publicly. Because if they do say it publicly, don't pay your taxes the Romans will call them instigators and then bring swift justice violence upon them. That's how Rome kept the peace, the big stick. All right. So if Jesus says, well, listen, don't, don't pay your taxes, then they know that the Romans are going to come and get Jesus and take him and kill him, being a religious instigator. So he can't say, well, don't pay your taxes. But then the flip side, he, he also can't say, you should pay your taxes. Because in this crowd, there's a, a bunch of zealots. These are, these are believers, readers of the Bible, people who would, who would claim to have faith, but they've sided more with a political ideology and using violence to bring about God's kingdom than actually having faith and trust in God and believing in Him to bring about His own kingdom. And if he says, listen, you should pay your taxes, then these, these ideologues, these people that are more political than they are Christian... They are prepared to use violence to set Jesus up. They'll stone him to death. See a problem? It's a real sticky wicket for Jesus. But Jesus is wisdom incarnate. Do you guys know what incarnate is? I don't know if you know Spanish or not, but you know what chili con carne is? It's chili with meat, right? With meat, con carne, incarnate, with Meat with flesh on. Jesus' wisdom with flesh on. He knows these people's hearts. He knows what they're driving at. He's too shrewd to be trapped by their questions. He knows their hearts. He knows my heart. He knows your heart. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the Roman emperor? Jesus answers their question with another question, as he is often prone to do. Does anybody have a coin he wants to know? Anybody got a coin? He's not trying to do a magic trick here, right? Anybody got a coin? I find this striking too. The king of kings. The lord of heaven and earth. He has nothing in his wallet. (laughs) Have you ever been there? Low on funds? I know in a cashless society this metaphor doesn't really work that much. But some of you all still do cash. All of us have been in times where we've been low on funds, right? Church, your Savior knows what it's like to be scrounging at the end of the barrel. He knows what it's like to be low on funds. Verse 18, he asked for a coin. Anybody got a coin? And he says, but Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So they brought him into Denarius, and he asked them, whose image is on this, and whose inscription Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God's what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went on their way. Here's the scene. I've been using a book called The Preacher's Guide to Lectionary Sermon Series to kind of outline stuff. I haven't used a whole lot from it, but one of the the excerpts from it I found was kind of good. The author writes... You've got to imagine this is a very embarrassing moment for the Herodians and the Pharisees. As they're digging into their pockets to produce a coin, the Pharisees especially would be embarrassed. They tell their people, hey, don't even touch Roman currency because it will defile you. And now Jesus is like, "Put them, hey, you got a coin? And they're like, well, <laughs> well, right? So they, they pull one out. Their hypocrisy is exposed before, before all of their people. They hand the coin to Jesus. He looks as if he's never seen it before. Turns it around. Whose image is on this coin, he wants to know. The Greek word is icon. Whose icon, whose image, whose face is on this coin? These Ivy Leaguers, they're a little insulted. It's a condescending question. How dumb are you, Jesus? It's, it's Caesar. Obviously, it's Caesar. It says it right on there, Caesar. Maybe he's not as smart as he looks, they wonder. Without going any further, Jesus says, Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. The literal translation would be, Pay back Caesar what belongs to him, and pay back God what belongs to God. Give them what they deserve. Isn't that good? Jesus is so shrewd. He's so wise. These entitled, greedy scoundrels come trying to trap Jesus in a no-win situation. And he cuts through all of their junk and he cuts straight to their hearts. He cuts to our hearts as well. Who, here, who in here likes paying taxes? Show of hands. Oh, you're lying. You're lying in church. Anybody else? I will call you out. It says in my notes, if anyone raises their hand, call them out. Kyle. <laughs> I taught my four-year-old son about taxes a while ago. He's older than four now. You remember it, Clark? hmm. Clark loves taxes. The last Halloween, we went trick or treating. He got his candy, he brought it home. I said, Son, I'm going to teach you about taxes. You live in my house, you experience all the goods and services and entitlements in this home. So I'm going to take a cut of all that candy that you just, <laughs> you just, I seriously, I did. There were tears. <laughs> right? None of us like none of us likes giving our hard earned coin to the government, do we? No. But it goes beyond just taxes. There's something inside all of us, a fear of running out. A question, will I have enough? There's a lack of trust. A greed. A greed that makes us want to grasp on tightly to what's ours. It's mine. See, if we work for it, we want to control it. We don't trust other folks to know how best to spend it. Church, this runs deep in us as Americans. Our country was founded on this this one principle. You work hard for it, you hang on to it, right? No taxation without representation. That's what we were founded on. I know we have our documents, but the rebellion was taxation, Do not reach your hand into my pocket and take what is mine. It's mine. You have no right to it. It's so deep and ingrained in us. But before we start going down all the political stuff, and I know some of y'all, your minds are racing. Well, hold on, right? Don't get political, pastor. Stay in your lane. Before we get into that, look at what Jesus is actually talking about. Whose picture is on the coin. Is he just talking about taxes or something deeper here? Whose picture on the coin he wants to know? Caesars. Our presidents. Steve Harvey is a good answer, right? Good answer, good answer. You guys are smart. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, Jesus says. Here's the next question. It's not asked, but it's implied. Whose image is on you? Whose image is on you? God's God's image is on you, friend. It's all over you. You are a reflection of the God of the universe, of his personhood, of his creativity, of his personality, of his ability to reason, think, and love. God's image is all over you, and it's all over me. Thus, Jesus says... Give to God what is God. Give to God's what is God's. Now, if we were in any other church, I might take this a little bit different route. We're talking about greed this morning. If we were in any other church, I might take it a little bit different route. I might speak another word of challenge. But we're not. We're in crossroads. In our brand new facility. Our brand new facility that you all have so generously given to. You all have paid cash so far for over $700,000 of this project. You're making it rain, right? Yeah. You're not very excited about it. You should be. (laughs) You should be. That's okay. That's okay, right? Many, many of you have given sacrificially to support the vision God has given to this church, to sharpen this ministry tool that is our facility so that we can shift into a higher gear of helping the lost get found and the found live free. You haven't just given of your money, you've also given sacrificially of your time. Remember the dollars for demo, right? Not only did it raise $10,000, but you all donated over 250 man hours to this project to do demo work so that we didn't have to pay the construction workers to do it. Not to mention, every Sunday there are countless individuals who serve in our cafe and our tech booth and our children's ministry. Over 80 In our children's ministry, I think, I'll have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure it's up to that. The worship team, so many of you give so much of your time. The generosity of this church has enabled rich ministry to happen every week on Sunday and throughout the week in small groups as well. The generosity of this church has enabled the construction of this facility, which is amazing. Way to go, church. And also, because you've been so generous, I'll be honest... As, as a pastor, I'm supposed to have faith, right? And I know, I know you all know that our parking lot is a nightmare, and I know our parking lot is a nightmare, but I didn't know if we could swing a parking lot project with all of the other stuff that we're doing. But God, who is rich in generosity and who has spurred on all of you to be rich in generosity, have been so faithful to give to this project, I'm super pumped to announce that just this last week, your elders and your management team voted. We looked at all the numbers. We crunched the data, and we said, actually, we know this is a huge need. And we're going to go ahead and pull the trigger on expanding our parking lot out to the west. The yellow part is what's going to be new. It'll be gravel for a season because as much as we all, you know, would like to drive on pavement, pavement is expensive, so we're going to do this. It is good stewards. Uh, you also can't pave something that you, you just did uh uh, gravel work on. It's gotta settle on all of that stuff. But eventually we would like to hopefully get that thing paved. So that's super exciting to throw out there to you as well. All because of the ways that you have invested into our shift campaign and this facility and God's kingdom here. So way to go church. If you're new with us and, and you haven't you don't even know what I'm talking about, the shift campaign was a three-year campaign to improve this facility. At the start of that campaign two years ago we came to the church and we said, listen We're going to try and raise $500,000. And in my mind, that was like, there's no way. Like, I'm supposed to have faith. And I'm like, man, that's a lot. But unless God shows up, there's no way. Y'all have given over $700,000 to date, and we have a year left. Way to go, church. Way to go, God. Yeah. Yeah. So it felt a little bit disingenuous to get up here and, like, harp on about greed when every one of you have been so incredibly generous to this project. A little bit more numbers before I bore you too much. At the start of the project, we'd hope to, to do everything. It's like a one and a half million, one and one point six million dollar project. We'd hope to, to have about eight hundred thousand dollars in debt, which we felt pretty confident we could service two years ago. But because our church has grown and the generosity of y'all, we looked at it. We're gonna look at maybe nine hundred thousand dollars in a mortgage at the end of all of this. But we've still got a year to go on the capital campaign. You've all have been faithful. I have a sneaking suspicion it'll probably be less than that. But right now, based off the numbers, that's what we're looking at. So that's kind of what, where we're at. I want to say thank you for, for your generosity. It, it's incredible. It's, it's nothing short of a miracle, to be honest with you, the way the Lord has, has worked through you all. And hopefully, as fun as that is for me to announce, hopefully you also have experienced just the joy of Jesus as you've been able to hold your things loosely, the stuff that we have, and we've been able to say here together as a church, here I am, Lord. Send me. Use me. Use my stuff. I was talking with a a buddy of mine in my Bible study, I don't know, like six months ago. And we were talking about about the shift campaign, and and we had asked asked you all to prayerfully think about, you know, giving sacrificially beyond what, what you normally give. And this gentleman said, Levi, we did that. My wife and I prayed on it. We looked at our budget and and we said, we're going to give to this, we're going to give to this more than than we really feel comfortable to give. Uh, It's probably going to hurt. We're not even sure if we can swing it, but we're going to do it. I said, okay, how's it going? He said, honestly, dude, we haven't even missed it. We haven't even missed it. God's provided so abundantly for our family. Church, when he was saying that, my heart resonated with him. Again, in the shift campaign, when we first kicked it off, in the Bible, we use the model when, when David, uh, when he raised money for the temple, he had all of his leaders go first. So we tried to do that here. We had our elders, our management team, some of the shift campaign leaders. We had all, all of the leaders of the church go first, myself included. Rachel and I committed a decent amount. And we thought, man, this is, this is gonna be tight. But you know what? I agree with my friend. I haven't missed it. I haven't missed the time. I haven't missed the cash that's been invested into God's kingdom here. This church is what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Open hands before the Lord. The opposite of greed. Clinging, mine, don't grab it, you can't have it, no. Coming before God, right, saying, here I am, send me. And that's why I didn't want to harp on about greed this morning because I don't see a whole lot of it here. What I see is generosity, We are not a people who say, don't touch my stuff. We're not a people who say, yeah, you can have 10%, but the rest, no. It's mine. The shift campaign has showed me that we are a people who say, God, I know your image is on me. I know your image is on me. I know I belong to you and that all you've given to me belongs to you. And so I'm not going to hold on tightly to it. I'm going to hold it freely before you. We're a people who say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, send me. Greed, church, it will steal your joy. So don't let it. Those pieces of paper in your wallet with presidents on them, give to Caesar what is Caesar and do so with joy in your heart. You are a child of the king and your king well, he owns this whole world. We're told in scripture that he has thousands of cattle on thousands of hills. And he loves you. He will provide for you. You remember the words of Jesus in Matthew? I think it's 6. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Look at the beautiful leaves in our beautiful autumn morning we had. Look at how amazing God cares for his earth. How much more important to you are to him are you than those things. They don't toil, they don't work, and yet your Father cares for them. How much more do you matter to Him than those things? His image is all over you. He'll care for you. He'll provide for you. You don't need to cling too tightly to this life or your stuff. Hold it loosely before Him. And as you do, all of that greed will melt away. But if it doesn't, if at times you find yourself fearing, "Will I have enough, if you hear the voice of God, Saying, "Hey, I want you to do this. I want you to give your time. I want you to give a little money." And you, you feel yourself pulling back and, and clinging on to what's mine. The next time greed rears its ugly head in your heart, remember the pop tarts. Say what? Do y'all remember back in the series on Galatians a story I told about in my house about the pop tarts? Anybody? A couple of you remember the pop tarts? A while back, one of my sons, he comes into my room, first thing in the morning, and he is furious. He does not have the joy of Jesus in his heart, right? Nope. He is feeling, he's not, he's not feeling really generous or grateful. No, greed had grabbed a hold of his heart in a very practical way. Why? Because his sister wanted some of his Pop-Tarts. See, the day before, Rachel had just let Graham go out and pick a few different kinds of Pop-Tarts from the store. So at this time, we've got about like five, five boxes of Pop-Tarts, which is super unhealthy. Five boxes of Pop-Tarts in our pantry. This is like just full. We can't even put all our other stuff. So many in there. And now, Ellie, she wants one of those Pop-Tarts. And Graham's having a freak out. Those are his Pop-Tarts. What if we run out? No, I'm not going to share them. He picked them out. They were his. I don't want to shame my son. He was, I think, four at the time, five maybe. But before we point the finger at him too hard, like how, how many of us have been where he's at? Probably not about Pop-Tarts, but maybe about something else, right? I worked hard for this thing or that thing. I picked it out. I slaved. I, it's my heart and money. I did this, so it's mine. I will not share it. It is mine. We've all been here, right? Right? Holding on tightly to what is mine. It's greed, friend. And we've all experienced it. It's a joyless place to live, isn't it? Gripping on tightly to all of our stuff, to all of our time. Oh, I'm so busy, only it's mine. I'll use it how I want to use it. It's a fearful place to live. What if we run out? What if there's not enough? What if the ends don't meet? What if she eats all my Pop-Tarts? Hear the words of Jesus. Don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid, little flock. Graham comes into my room all worked up. She can't have what's mine, he says. They're fighting. Just how, you know, we don't set an alarm because usually our kids come into our room fighting about something. (laughs) Works perfect. It's really fun. He said, so what'd you do, Levi? You're a pastor, right? What'd you do? I screamed at him. I said, listen, I'm going to spank your butt unless you share your Pop-Tarts. Actually, I didn't. I would like to say, (laughs) that would have not been a great way to respond, right? We've talked about spanking before, and I do believe the Bible thinks it's an appropriate means of discipline, but in this case, we spank for dishonesty, disobedient, and disrespect. Disrespect, he might have been being a little bit disrespectful, but in that moment, even... At the butt crack of dawn, it was early. I believe God gave me some grace to recognize what was going on here. He didn't need a threat of violence, right? And I want you to know this. Generosity and gratitude, you can't threaten people into it. There's not a stick big enough that's going to make people just become grat- grateful and, and be generous. That, that doesn't work. What Graham needed in this moment, he, it wasn't a threat. It was, he needed to be reminded whose image was on him. He needed he need to be comforted. He need not be afraid. And so rather than, than threading him with violence, right? Shape up or I'm going to whip your bottom. Rather than doing that, I asked, him, I asked him a question. Buddy, whose image is on you? I didn't ask him that exactly, right? He's four. I said, Bud, who, who bought you those Pop-Tarts? Did you pay for them? No. You and Mom did. Yeah, we did. Right, And where would we get them? From the store? Yeah, yeah. Mm, do you think the store has more of those Pop-Tarts? Yes, Dad, it does. <laughs> Son, if you, think, if you think we run out of those Pop-Tarts, you think your mom or I, we'd be more than happy to go back to the store and maybe buy, buy a few more boxes? I guess. Of course we would, bud. Because we love you, and you belong to us, and my image is on you. We love getting good things for you, making sure that you have a breakfast to eat. We love taking care of you, providing for you, making sure you never run out because our image is on you. Turns out, church, all that was needed to defeat this enemy of gratitude in his heart, greed, was a reminder of whose image was on him and who his father was and what he was willing to pay to make sure that his children had all the Pop-Tarts that he needed. Now, you all are really smart, right? You're smart enough to know that just like Jesus wasn't just talking about taxes, I'm not just talking about Pop-Tarts. Loved ones, little flock, whose image is on you? To whom do you belong? What was God willing to pay to make sure that you would always have everything that you need. How often we need to be reminded of this. Amen? The God of heaven, who sent his one and only son for us. We need to be reminded of this often. To help us remember and defeat greed in our hearts, among so many other beautiful things, the Lord Jesus gave, he gave us a beautiful reminder, didn't he? We call it communion. We're going to turn our attention to that now. We here at Crossroads we believe that if you've chosen to have faith in Jesus by following Him, the band can actually come up. We're going to roll into the communion right now. Um, if you've if you've chosen to follow Jesus by faith, we believe that you've become a child of the King. You've been given a down payment. It's called the Holy Spirit to assure you that God will make good on His promise. Right you. You have a, you're the indwelling space of the Holy Spirit by faith and eventually you will have eternal life. And so if you've experienced this regeneration, this salvation by faith in Jesus, then we welcome you to partake in communion. And the reality is that when we come to Jesus by faith, by the power of His Spirit, even more is His image put upon us because He comes inside of us. And because He is with us, because He is inside of us, we can know that we will always have everything that we need. Because Jesus is all that we need. So if you know this reality, then we're going to invite you to partake of communion this morning. We're going to pass it by rows. So we've got a couple couples that are going to grab the bread first and distribute it, And then you'll hold it. And then I'll lead us through a little prayer. And then we'll take it all together. We'll do the same thing with the juice after that. Let me just remind us all that as we remember the price Jesus paid to make us his own, Let us rejoice and be glad in that truth. Let us fight greed by being glad and grateful as we remember whose image is all over us and what it cost him to make it so. I'll invite those who are going to pass the bread to come on up. We'll distribute the bread now as the band plays. Once everyone receives the bread, we'll take it together. any things that you're, you're clutching onto for fear of losing I invite you to cast those cares and fears and worries upon the Lord as the Apostle Peter writes because he cares for you as you receive the bread you can kind of turn it around in your hands think about Christ's body broken pierced for our transgressions about his body that hung on a cross. Why? To demonstrate his care for us. To pay the penalty that you and I could never pay. Everybody has bread. Church, this is the body of Christ that was broken for you. Take it in gratitude, remembering what it cost him to make you his own by faith. Invite you to think. Remember the fears that, that sometimes makes, makes us greedy. The fears of the lack that we might ever we might not have enough. The lengths that God was willing to go to ensure that we'd always have enough. As we turn our attention to the cup, Jesus says, It's my blood. He said, It's the blood of the new covenant. As you think about that new covenant, I want you to think about the wedding feast of the land. Close your eyes and maybe maybe think about the feast and the spread that will be on the table one day in heaven with Jesus, with the Father, the King. Think about the bountiful harvest and the milk and honey and the wine flowing freely. Jesus says, "This this is what I'm purchasing for my people. A bountiful harvest that will never run out. A feast, not just of food, but of fellowship. A friendship with God, with one another, united, intimately connected with the Father. Think about all of the beautiful things that God has provided, that He will provide by His blood. be afraid little flock the blood of Jesus has been poured out on the cross for you and for me initiating the hope that we have in the new covenant let's take together and remember and proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he returns would you pray with me Father in heaven, we praise your holy name. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the tender care that you have for each and every one of us. Thank you for the tenderness that you even have towards these scoundrels that are coming at you with entitlement, trying to trap you, Lord. Thank you for the grace you displayed to even engage them. Thank you for engaging us when we have doubts, when we have frustrations, when we, we, we shake our fist at you and we say, where were you? Why didn't you do this for me? Thank you, Father, that you are not put off by those demands, by those questions, but in fact, you invite us in. You said, little flock, let me tell you how much I love you. Let me tell you how much I care for you. Let me remind you whose image has been put upon you and how much I would pay to keep my image on you. Lord Jesus, in the moments where greed creeps in, where fear of lack creeps in, and we want to cling so tightly to this earth, to our life, to what we have, to what we've been given by you, I pray, Father, that in those moments you would invite us to look to the cross, to look to the hope of the new covenant by the body, by the blood of Jesus that was pierced, his blood was shed, and Lord Jesus, you did not stay dead you are alive and reigning and one day you are coming back until then lord jesus sustain us give us hope help us to be as generous with our fellow man as you are with us for your glory and our joy we pray and all god's people said, amen let's stand and sing a final song together